You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Doc G, and you're listening to the Earn and Invest Podcast. This episode is coming live to you from Camp Fi Midwest 2021. We are discussing old versus new school financial independence. Hope you enjoy. When I first heard of FIRE, financial independence retire early, the movement felt overrun by young professionals tired of grinding out their life in jobs they didn't love. Fast forward five short years and the community has blossomed. The goals as well as the details have changed. Today at Camp Fi Midwest 2021, a metaphoric carnival of financial independence, we celebrate both the old and the new. Everybody, say hello. This is Camp Fi Midwest Class of 2021. Make some noise. And speaking of old... Welcome back to our friend Leif Dahlien. He is the physician on fire. And Leif, tell me, what has it been two years since you've left your job as an anesthesiologist? That is correct. It's been exactly two years. And I just want to point out, since you said, speaking of old, that I'm sitting next to a podcast host who's definitely older than me. And I see at least two people in the front row that fit the bill as well. Tell us about retirement from medicine. You left your anesthesiology job two years ago. Is it what you expected it to be? And are you still licensed if you wanted to go back? I am still licensed if I wanted to go back. However, it has been just over two years since I actually was in an operating room. And it gets to be pretty difficult to go back after a certain amount of time. And two years is kind of that turning point. I uh, have heard, at least anecdotally, that to get malpractice insurance to cover you if you haven't practiced in two years, that's a challenge. And I've also let uh, some of my different credentials go, like basic life support, advanced cardiac life support, pediatric advanced life support, all of these uh, one- and two-day classes that you have to do every year or every other year. I do have a Minnesota medical license, and uh, I've kept that, but there's a good chance I will not keep it beyond this year. I believe the first question you asked was, was it what I expected now that it's been two years? And I did not expect a global pandemic to like grossly alter our plans as, as, it, as it happened. That is how things turned out. Um, so we're not doing exactly what I had in mind, which was a lot of global travel with our family. Uh, however, I am in some ways seeing a lot of what I envisioned, which is more family time, uh, a more relaxed life, less stress. And uh, I am, have zero regrets about my decision. We were talking about that earlier today, and I, I feel very comfortable with where I'm at. I want to push that question a little further. You said you have zero regrets, but is there anything you miss about medicine, the feel of walking into the OR, the waking a patient up after a major surgery, knowing that you helped bring them through okay? I mean, does any of that still tug at you? Absolutely. I, I can't say I don't miss certain things. Um, you know, you have the good with the bad, and every career, I think, has elements that are very rewarding and, and very powerful. 
um, and other elements that are cumbersome and bothersome and, and difficult. But I certainly worked with some amazing people, uh, the surgeons, the nurses, uh, met so many patients. You know, on busier days, I might, I might uh, oversee three to four operating rooms, each with three to five or even 10 or 12 patients. And so I, uh, I certainly talked to a lot of people and, and met some amazing folks over the years. So that interaction is gone. It's been replaced with uh, interaction with uh, people like you here in the audience. Uh, we have about 30 people here with us today, uh, all learning about uh, financial independence and uh, kind of having these next level conversations that Doc G here has been so good at uh, fostering over the years since he started his podcast. And uh, I'm honored to be here uh, as a guest uh, for the probably fourth time, I think, with you. And uh, it's been three years since we met at this very site, uh, right along the St. Croix River in lovely Minnesota, my home state. Let's talk about the pandemic. We say that you've left medicine. You did have a short stint of giving vaccinations to people for COVID. Was there any fear or thought that you'd be called back, called back into action based on what was happening with the pandemic? Definitely. Early on, I actually got a hold of my old chief uh, of our anesthesia department, and I said, gosh, I, I don't know what's going to happen here. This was March of 2020, but I still have my credentials at the hospital. At that time, I was still fully able to just step back in even the next day if needed, and I said, that's what I'll do. If one of uh, our former other three partners or you go down with COVID, I can be there. If the ICU gets overrun, if things get crazy, I can be there. Uh, as it turned out, elective surgeries were postponed. People avoided the hospital like the plague because there was a plague going around and uh, I wasn't needed there. So I, I did do uh, actually not that brief of a stint this year giving vaccinations. And now that booster shots have been recommended, I'll be uh, doing that again. Maybe uh, it fairly limited, I think, maybe a few times a month, but it'll be fun to get back in there. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it does bring back a little bit of that sense of uh, purpose and accomplishment to be able to help uh, get us through and, and beyond this pandemic and keep people safe and healthy. I love to come to these Camp Fies every year because they form almost a bookmark in my mind of my evolution of my own journey. And I can look back at each Camp Fi and see pivot points where I learned new things and evolved. Leif, tell us about how your feelings about financial independence have evolved since you left work. Have things changed at all? Have you changed, grown, learned, or does it feel pretty much the way it did when you left your job? That's a good question. And as I was listening to you ask it, I thought, I need to slow down the way I talk and use more inflection in my voice so I can sound more like you. Um, but uh, I, I think financial independence, um, at the time, I thought of it as reaching a number and then doing whatever the heck you want with uh, the rest of your life. And in a lot of ways, there, there is some truth to that. But one thing I've learned about myself, and I probably knew it beforehand, I just didn't know how it would manifest is that I like to be productive. I like to have things to do. I like to make a difference uh, in, you know, some people's lives, whether it's my sons, my wife, my family, my extended family, readers, people that uh, I just met this weekend. And I, I feel like I, and I've always done this, if I have free time, it's a vacuum. It, it will fill with something. Uh, for me, it happened to be a blog and spreading this message of financial independence, which I think is wonderful. But uh, I haven't been as leisure-focused as I thought I might be. And losing the ability to travel, uh, we did spend, and I believe we may have discussed this in the previous episode, but we spent a couple months in Mexico. We spent a couple months in Spain and and got to do lots of sightseeing and kind of living something like a local in different places. Loved it, was planning to do more of it, and I'm hoping to get back to it. But uh, I don't know, we're 18 months into this thing, and pretty soon I'll have a high school-aged child, and I don't think we'll have the same flexibility that we've had in these years where we've been 
my wife in particular has been excellent uh, doing the homeschooling, or as we called it for a while, world schooling, learning uh, about the places and cultures, uh, while also hitting the kind of the core competencies uh, that they expect us to impart upon them. Now, I was careful as I was talking about retirement, and I said you retired from your medical practice, but indeed you're still active on the Physician on Fire blog. Tell me about the role the blog has played in your post-medical life. Do you consider yourself retired? No, I use similar terminology uh, to to what you do. Um, I did talk about retiring beforehand, and I did. I retired from medicine. It's a verb, right? It's something you do. It's not necessarily a state of being. So I, I think that's true of most retired people, that they will move on to do something different with their days. And that may or may not include something that, uh, you know, makes money. Um, but yeah, so I've, I've transitioned into being a blogger. One neat thing about that is that I help people like every day. And when I was in anesthesia, I might work 15, 18 days a month, and I was only helping people on those days. At least it's a very, very different reach, right? I could take care of three to four patients at a time with a lot of help from nurses, nurse anesthetists. Now I can reach several thousand people with a blog post, and I get questions. People email me. I have a couple of Facebook groups, and I spend a lot of time doing that, and I really enjoy it. And I start to feel itchy for lack of a better word like if i haven't done that in a few days if i if i step away from it for too long i'm like i need to get back on there and and see what see what people are talking about and i can almost certainly uh lend a hand and help someone with the issue they've got so i feel like two years of post-medical retirement is a huge accomplishment in a sense by being on this podcast talking here at camp Fi, we're celebrating you and your knowledge there are a lot of brand new financial independence retire early people out there. With all your accrued knowledge, with everything you've gone through, what do you tell the newbie about this community and about what you've learned? Well, if they're new to the FIRE movement, they've probably come through a mainstream media article and they've probably read about, uh, you know, how we buy brown bananas on discount and, uh, you know, uh, subside on rice and beans and, you know, live in some sort of extreme frugality. But there's very uh, many different flavors of fire and you can uh, choose your own destiny, right? So I think, you know, I would say, A, don't, don't believe what you read online. Talk to people that are doing this. Um, one of the bigger criticisms is that, well, every time I read a fire blog or listen to a fire podcast, these people are making money off of them. So fire is not real because they didn't retire. And it's like, yeah, but that's not 1%. That's probably 0.1% of the people that are actually living this, this uh, post-fi life. And the others, you're not reading their blogs or hearing their podcasts because they don't have them, right? You only hear from the ones that do. So that's interesting. But I think as far as advice, I would say, Try to incorporate some of what you envision for the future post-fire life into your life now, even if that means maybe delaying reaching that exact goal that you might have in mind as far as time frame or dollar amount or cash flow or number of rentals or whatever it may be that you're using to, to reach FI yourself. Um, don't forget to enjoy the path. We are talking old school fire with the physician on fire, Leif Dahlin. We will in a moment transition to hear some new voices. But before we do, Leif, tell us what's up next in your life and where we can find you if we want to know more. What's up next is hopefully some travel. I keep pushing back a trip to Mexico that I booked uh, for, I guess it was late September originally. But I'm not going to dare leave the country until all four of us are vaccinated and I have a 10-year-old. Uh, we'll be due for boosters as well in October. So maybe back to Guanajuato, Mexico, where we practiced fire when I was working part-time. I went there for three weeks, and then we made it our first destination after fire, and we spent six or seven weeks there. And uh, I, I got a deal on uh, Scott's Cheap Flights cheap plug there. Um, I won't give you my URL, but I have one. Um, 
$97 one way to Japan, Chicago to Tokyo. I just booked it on a whim. So that's March of next year. I hope it happens. I could have booked a round trip for, I believe it was 202, but I was like, eh, we'll figure it out from there. Maybe we'll take a cruise back like we wanted to if, if things are better. Um, but it's hard to answer a what's up next question when there's so much uncertainty about what truly is next. So uh, if the travel doesn't work out, next summer we'll be busy. We're going to be building a home on a lake in Michigan. Right now we live across the street, so we'll be keeping a very close eye on the contractors, subcontractors, and I, I really look forward to, to that project. We are talking old school and new school fire here at Camp Fi 2021 Midwest. We're going to take a short break. I am Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. You know what? I love our meals from Factor. My son started getting them about a year ago when he needed a quick alternative to meals on the go. But where we've really enjoyed them is we've been remodeling our kitchen. That's right. We've had no access to our kitchen for the last few weeks. And some nights we just had no idea what to do for a meal. That is where Factor came in. We would just pop the meal in the microwave and two minutes later... We'd have a fantastic meal. You can do the exact same thing, and there's tons of variety. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also, discover more than 60 add ons every week. These are chef prepared meals, and let me tell you, they are delicious. No fuss, no mess. You just put it in the microwave, and two minutes later, you have a meal. This is tailored to your schedule. You can customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Head to factormeals.com slash earn50 and use your code earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code earn50 at factormeals.com slash earn50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. You know, I have to admit, when I first started investing, I was intimidated. I not only didn't know where to put my money, but I really didn't know what platform, where to go to start investing. That's why I'm telling everybody about public.com. This is an app. You can get it on your phone. And on public.com, you can invest with any amount of money. Invest in $1,000 stocks with just $1. The ability to buy slices of shares offers more flexibility on what you can add to your portfolio. And the cool thing about public is you're part of a community of investors. They make it easy to collaborate and build your confidence you can connect with other users, friends, other members, and even notable investors to learn new things together and see how they're investing. Check them out at public.com. Use code EAI when you download the app to let public.com know you're coming from Earn and Invest, and you'll get up to $50 in free stock to get started in growing your portfolio. This is valid for U.S. residents only 18 and older, subject to account approval. See public.com slash disclosures. This is not investment advice. Let me reintroduce you. We are here at Camp Fi Midwest 2021. We just heard from Leif Dahlin, and we are transitioning to what I would call New School Fi. Let me introduce you to a new friend of mine. His name is Fizz. Let's start with how old are you and what do you do for a living? I am 26 years old, and I am a product owner. What does that mean? In software development, we've taken a different approach where we don't have projects, we have products. And so it's basically an individual who drives the direction and vision of the software that you're building. One thing I've learned at this Camp Fi is that we all have our own unique challenges to reaching financial independence. Some of us came from a family in which maybe our parents didn't go to college, or maybe we had problems in school or had a learning disability. 
There are all sorts of things that can get in our way of reaching financial independence. You and I have talked and you've had some unique challenges. Tell me about what's different in your path to financial independence compared to most of the people here today. I was born and raised in Saudi Arabia. My mom is from Syria and my dad is from Tunisia. And I was born and raised in a country where I wasn't a citizen. Um, and here, I'm not a citizen either. So I'm kind of, my life has always been in such a way that I can't really, I'm, I'm confined to certain parameters. So in America, uh, I'm not a citizen yet. I'm on an H-1B visa, which means that I'm limited to work for the one employer that I have. Not having a green card, I can't really start a business. I can't really have an LLC. I can't, there's certain things I can't own. There's certain things I can't do. So I just have a lot of constraints and parameters on what I can and can't do. Tell me how that feels. I mean, in a sense, we're all used to those traditional hurdles. But in this community, there's this big belief that if something gets in your way with the right mindset, with the right learning, you can go on YouTube, you can find a way around it. How does it feel to have something that maybe you can't find a way specifically around, something you can't change? That is a really good question because that is the mentality that I have as an individual. And this is something that you really can't change. I, there's nothing I can do to change my citizenship status. And it feels helpless, honestly. Um, constraining feels helpless and constraining. And it's rough out here in the streets. <laughs> so obviously, you knew this coming into this Camp Fi. I'm interested in... What drove you to come here? Like, you knew that coming in the door, you would have some unique problems that maybe no one here could speak specifically to. What drew you to this event? My mentor, Tim, uh, who is, I kept, I kept in touch with Tim right after college. Tim told me that I should come here, and he's been trying to get me here for a few years. And he said that coming here isn't just about the solutions that you get and the tips that you have. It's also about building the networks. And he said, who knows, you might be surprised and find something cool and someone tell you something that you didn't know about. And I was, and I did find out a lot of cool things that I didn't know about. Please enlighten us. Tell us about some of those things that surprised you as you came here to meet people maybe who were kind of like you, but kind of not. Well, so I... I found actually there was a couple of people in this room who went through the same exact path that I had gone through with the H-1B and getting a green card. And that was very cool to see that I wasn't alone in this community. And there was also a few people that do things naturally, even though they don't have to. They do things in a way that works for me naturally without even trying. So a lot of their transactions are cash. And so that actually works for someone like me who's not a citizen. I, I can, as a non-citizen, trade commodities. I can buy and sell. And that is a really cool thing that I can do to grow my wealth that I did not think about. It's just simple arbitrage, providing that as a service. And something that I kind of knew in the back of my mind, but just seeing people here and talking to people that have actually done it, and it, it was just very inspiring to, to see that. And I feel extremely encouraged to do it, for real. We talked today in our breakout session about what enough looks like for various people who are on various paths. And I'm wondering if your immigration struggles change what feels like enough for you? Because I know for a lot of us, we kind of have this pie in the sky idea that we need to get to a certain number so we're financially free and financially independent. It occurs to me that for you, just being able to be in the arena legally is a hurdle that none of us even think about, but might be almost more important for you than actually re reaching a specific number. Yeah, that is absolutely true. I am willing to do, at this point in my life, basically anything outside of doing a green card marriage to get a green card. And that is the absolute uh, most important goal that I have right now. And beyond that, I often think about when you're, when you're talking about what's enough, you're right. Like I'm in this stage in my life where I just need to get to this. I just need to be able to feel like a citizen somewhere. I just need to feel like I actually belong somewhere. So I'm sorry to tell you, but I'm already married, so it wouldn't work anyway. Um, sorry, my apologies. Tell me what your parents think of this. Like, this is a different thing. And I know even my parents, right? I'm in my 40s. 
And my parents, when I told them about financial independence, um, it was a foreign idea. And uh, the immigrant mentality, and I'm going to be very broad in general here, but the immigrant mentality tends to be very different than people who are born and live for generations in the United States. And from other people I've interviewed, you realize the immigrant mentality often is work as hard as you can, make as much money as you can, and keep going. Have you discussed financial independence with your parents? And if you haven't, if you brought it up with them, what do you think they'd say? That's a really good question and a really astute observation of how immigrants are. My parents, my parents' goal for me has always been get into a good college and get a good job. That's what my dad did. He immigrated from Tunisia to Saudi Arabia on a full-ride scholarship. He got a good job, and he worked his ass off to get me to come to college in America. And that was all he did. He didn't save to retire. The extent of his savings was to take care of his son so that his son could take care of him when he's older. And that's just kind of the way we do it. Uh, I have brought it up to them briefly. And they don't understand it. They're not interested in finding out. They just, they just, my dad is just like, you seem to know what you're doing. I trust you. Just don't get into anything sketchy. And it, in the back of the conversation, like I know in the back of his head, he's thinking as long as you, you're happy and you're doing, you're, you're going to be able to take care of the people that you love. That's all that matters. It's definitely something I've noticed in immigrant families, but also non-immigrant families. When your struggle is for survival. It's enough that you can provide a safe place for your family and your kids, etc. And we really become that privileged next generation where you can take your eye off of basic subsistence and start looking at kind of your deeper goals and purpose. And that, as you were talking about that, that really reminds me, I think, of especially first-generation immigrants. The parents who come, really, the struggle is just to incorporate into this new country to find a way to make it financially work. Um, and it's, it's a privilege to be that next generation and even the generation after that and have enough sense of stability to start thinking about kind of those next level things of self-actualization as opposed to just substance. You mentioned at the beginning of this interview that actually it was your mentor, Tim, who suggested you come here. I know Tim very well as part of this community. Let's talk a little bit about mentorship. How did you meet Tim, and, and what has been the role of mentorship in your financial growth? Tim and I met in college. I went to the same college as Tim, and I was student body president. He served as vice president, and I met him at this gala that they do at our university called the Purple and Gold Gala, and you, met, you meet a lot of cool people. And uh, something about him... Uh, having a computer science degree and me having an IT degree clicked with me. And so I think on a whim, I just kind of really, I just kind of really liked him as a person. And on a whim outside of college, I said, let me reach out to, to Tim Hipsch and see if he wants to connect. And I had this idea in my mind that if I reach out to someone smarter than me, I will get to where I need to go. And I did. And I was very pleasantly su surprised to find out that Tim was extremely willing to help. And he was way more helpful than I had anticipated he would be. And not only did he help me in financial elements of my life and just getting to, to here where I'm able to help myself financially, he also helped me find where I belonged in the community. Tim recommended that I join my neighborhood board, and I'm on that now. He recommended a few nonprofits that I joined in Minneapolis, and I'm on those now. It's just been, it's just been a great experience, and I highly recommend for anyone my age and reaffirming for myself to reach out to people that are smarter than you and that are where you want to be, because often they do want to help. Was Tim your first introduction to financial independence? And if so, tell us your first inclinations as you hear either him or you read about it. What did you think about this idea of financial independence when you first heard about it? To be honest, I thought it was a white people activity. <laughs> I didn't think that. I thought it was a generational wealth thing, like you kind of get into it. I didn't think it was something that I even was helpful for me to think about at my age. And I didn't think that like those side hustles and those things that we talked about, I didn't think it was something that if I thought about, there would be any fruition to it. And I talked to people in my circle and they're like, yeah, all that stuff is crazy. And people who are rich are innately rich through wealth or trust funds and you shouldn't really look into it. So I just didn't think was something that I could do. I thought it was a white people activity like golfing or tennis, going to breweries. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I mean, if you haven't noticed, you'll you'll see the golf club, the brewery, and then the fire club. <laughs> it's right next to it. There's these red fire engines. and. <laughs> so what made you turn the road? So you heard this. You said, boy, that, that kind of sounds like something white, rich people do. Um, when did it click? And you said, wait, no, maybe there's a place for me in this community. To be honest, today. <laughs> today is the moment. I kind of came here on a, on a limb. I, I still thought it was going to be a few years out for me to even think seriously about it. So this experience is the experience where I feel like I'm being serious about it. I'm going to get granular here. Was there any specific thing someone said to you or something you experienced today that really was a light bulb moment? Like, oh, yeah, that's why they do this. I don't think I, I, don't think I ever questioned the why people do this because for me, I definitely want money and I can see why anyone would want money. It would be really nice to get to get my family through college. I mean, I'm putting my brother through college right now. It'd be nice to not worry about that, to get my sister through college, to make sure my dad retires easy. So I kind of, I guess I don't think about the why as much. I just kind of assume that it would be a good idea and that it would be out of my reach. I think the big thing coming here is knowing that it was within my reach and that I could do it. I will tell you that my personal experience is that the hardest part about deciding to come, become financially independent has nothing to do with dollars and cents. It's almost always the mindset switch that takes the longest. And one of the magic things about coming to a campfire like this is it is a place where people all of a sudden have that mindset switch. There's something about being surrounded by people energetically talking about these subjects that changes the way you view the probability that you can actually get there. I love to pretend on this podcast that I'm a fairy godmother and I can wave my little wand and make things happen. I love to say, poof, you have $10 million. What are you going to do with your life? I want to turn that around with you and say, poof, you're a citizen. What does that feel like and how does it change things? I would throw a party. We would all be invited. I would feel elated. I don't even know. I would probably cry. I, I don't even know. It would be beyond description if you could wave a wand and just tell me that I would be a citizen. So now I'm going to give you a choice. I can either wave a wand and you're a citizen, or I could wave that wand and make you financially independent immediately, but you can only have one. Which would you choose? Citizenship. Why? Because I, I can get financially independent on my own with citizenship, and it wouldn't be that difficult. There's so much opportunity in America, and there's so many ways you can go about it and just learning all the different ways that people are doing it here. You could, you could do it. And the citizenship part is the hardest for me. Although I will say there is a path to citizenship if you're really, really rich. So I will take you on the financial independent one. <laughs> if, you, if you have $500,000 invested in the U.S., you automatically get a green card. So that's the easiest path to citizenship. So I will take you up on that. Well, Stephen didn't tell you, but there's a scholarship for one person here for 500. No, I'm kidding. There's not, <laughs> you know, uh, this, is, this, is, this is not Oprah. Um, <laughs> I like that perspective. And I like the fact that you jumped to citizenship first, because I think it's sobering, but true. There are things more important than financial independence. And there are also things that are harder. And sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we get caught in our lens of looking at the world as we see it in this little bubble. And you come to places like Camp Fi, and it's wonderful, but it's easy to forget that there are other goals and other needs. I bet you'll find your path to financial independence is a little bit easier based on the fact that you had another higher hurdle, which I assume you will eventually overcome. There are a lot of people out there wondering, should I come to a Camp Fi in the future or not? Give us your one-day-developed elevator pitch for why someone should come and experience a Camp Fi like this one. Is this pitch for citizens or non-citizens? <laughs> for anyone. For anyone? Uh, I think people should come because of the people that you meet here. Everyone here is so genuinely kind and authentic. And I like to think that I'm really good at reading people and very emotionally intelligent. And I could tell that people here are kind for the sake of being kind. And it's just so nice to see. 
you don't see it every day because like usually you're seeing your coworkers or people on the street and they're just coexisting. You're not really being kind to each other. It, and I think that I just learned so much and people here are so intelligent. So I think you should come for the people. We are here at Camp Fi Midwest 2021 talking about old school and new school fi. That was Fizz. Next up is a father and son duo. But before we get there, we're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. Well done. Have you been listening to the Real Estate and Financial Independence podcast with Coach Carson? My friend and former college football player, Chad Carson, talks real estate in the most understandable and relatable ways. He has two types of episodes, one in which he interviews experts that tell you the tips and tricks. This is proof of concept, real life people out there just like you and I who are making real estate work for them. And then he also has episodes where he breaks it down, tells you how to use real estate, goes through point by point and step by step how to get ahead. It is an amazing podcast. I highly suggest you take a listen. Look, if you're new to real estate, this is definitely the place to go. But if you've been involved in real estate for a long time, here's where you can sharpen the saw and learn more. Check them out at CoachCarson.com. Again, that's CoachCarson.com. It's the Real Estate and Financial Independence Podcast. Take a listen. You won't be sorry. Let me reintroduce you. We are here at Camp Fi Midwest 2021. We are talking both old school and new school Fi. Sitting next to me right now, I have a father and son duo at their first Camp Fi. Osaru, I'm going to start with you. First of all, tell us how old you are and why you're here. As of right now, I'm 18 years old and I'm here because I feel like as someone who's this young and who has a lot of time to like spare in life and has like a long future ahead of them, I want to get as much knowledge as possible. And like the people I've met over this past like day has like, there's so much knowledge throughout the years that I can learn from and just like soaking it up like a sponge is the best thing for me. So I can learn as much as possible and then take it in that knowledge and hopefully pass it down to someone else is the biggest thing for me. Cause stuff this important only comes in once in a lifetime and it shouldn't go to waste. Tell me how you heard of this event and of the financial independence movement as a whole. So the whole financial independence thing I heard about through my father when we were talking about after like my first year of university, I just wasn't feeling it. I was like lost, confused. I was at a point in my life where I felt like I should know what I want to do, but I didn't know want to do didn't know what I wanted to do. So I was thinking about possibly taking the year off exploring different options. Then he introduced me to like the whole financial independence movement because that's something I was interested in. And like, it sounded like the base of what I was talking about. So I first heard about it through him and like listening to a couple episodes of the podcast. I forget what episode he introduced me to, but listening to that and like understanding the possibilities of life, kind of exploring it and like diving through my own path. Nosa, tell us about introducing your son to financial independence. You and I have talked. You're an academic. You come from an academic family. I wouldn't characterize the financial independence movement yet as an academic movement. What made you decide to have this conversation with your son? Well, uh, actually, uh, we've been discussing money forever, you know, know, with with the kids. He has... uh, Two older sisters, and when they were young, when we lived you know, overseas, they we got them to start um, an organic egg business, which required buying from an elderly woman next door and then selling it to high net worth individuals, and they made quite a bit of money in over. So we've had found ways to talk about money, uh, but as Osaru. Uh, was going through his personal journey this last, you know, year. Uh, he expressed interest in money. So I said, well, if you want to make money, um, 
let's figure out how you get from where you are right now to where you would like to be. And exposure to knowledge and exposure to insights would be a great way to, to do that. But also for me, just it's also a chance for him and I to actually spend time together just by ourselves. So I'm, so there's, there's a, there's a, there's a selfish side to, to that as well. Yeah. Osaru, your dad and I were talking early today, and we were kind of talking about this whole idea of academics versus non-academics. And he said, you know what? Osaru sat me and my wife down, maybe he was something like 14, and said to us, look, I'm not like my sisters. I don't know if you remember that moment, but do you remember that conversation? And and tell me what you were feeling at the time. Uh, I do remember that conversation because I know like growing up with two older sisters, I kind of was like, this old, the youngest. So there was those like preset molds of like what people or like what I should expect it to be like. And I've always felt like growing up, I was compared to them and like them, they are more academically inclined than I am. So I feel like they do apply themselves a lot more in school, which is something I struggle to do with. Cause if I don't see value in it, I will, I won't apply myself. But when I do see value, I do like apply myself completely and try to understand the full scope. So seeing that was kind of like telling my parents, like, yeah, I'm not on the same path as them. Like I'm my own individual person. And I was kind of tired of like being compared to them. I just wanted to be my own person and like kind of take my own path to things. Cause at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how you get there. You're still going to have the same end result. No, sir. I'm interested in this idea that what you're doing for a living tangentially or, or maybe not so tangentially touches on macro finance. You touch on how resources are distributed to countries in need. Talk to me about the connection between that and what Osaru is now looking at. I mean, he's interested in finance, but it's a much different story. It's a story of personal finance. Tell us a little bit about your job and whether you think it relates to what he's going through now. Well, I I think that, uh, you know, just... In exploring that question, you know, writ large, uh, we're all agents of change in our various ways, and um, there's no denying that uh, we can uh, we can assert influence by the words that we use. We can assert influence by the financial resources we have. We can assert influence by the types of networks we cultivate and the way we expand those networks. Uh, in my own work uh, that I do, uh, mostly in global public health, and also ha- having practiced as a physician several years ago uh, in, in a variety of settings, money is central to household survival, is central to household community so- survival, and how we can construct services, how we can construct policies that remove barriers for communities, remove barriers for women in particular in these various settings can go a long way in the expression of wealth and the expression of prosperity, not just in this time, but also generationally as well. So uh, so the connection for me is... Um, in Osara's pursuit, in terms of him trying to become financially independent, could transform him to become an agent, uh, and that could be a, someone who could influence, you know, the trajectory of lives of people elsewhere. But it also has to start with him as well. Osaru, I'm interested in the same question with you. Do you see a connection between what your dad does for a living? and what you're pursuing right now? I feel like I do see a connection with him. Like growing up, the biggest thing for him was always like teaching us about giving back. Cause growing up, like we always like having a roof over our heads, like is a privilege and some people don't always have that. So having being able to be like develop my financial independence to be in a position to give back, whether it's at the end, how like a lot of people today have talked about when people give back when they reach financial independence or along the journey is a big thing for me because I strongly believe that, yeah, people can do stuff on their own, but the more people you're surrounded by and the more connections you build, 
it's going to be a lot easier to go through the process. So having that ability to have people help you and giving back to those people or people who you may not know and just a simple interaction can go a long way. So giving back is like the biggest connection between what my dad does and what I'm trying to accomplish right now. No. So who's learning more this weekend, father or son? Uh, without any question, is the father. <laughs> Osaru? Uh, I'd say me. I think he's filled up all the space in his head, so it's starting to <laughs> round up a little bit, so I think I'm learning more than he is. <laughs> I'm interested, Osaru. You go home after this. You take what you take from it. The next time you talk to your sisters, what are you going to say about this when they ask you? Realistically, I'd probably just give them a one word answer like I normally do, but maybe this time I might go into more detail about it and like explain what I've learned and possibly help them along the way with their journey because I know they do like money. As do most of us here. Zonosa, you've now experienced a day and maybe a little bit more of Camp Fi Midwest. There are a lot of people out there wondering is this something I should do? And for you, you're kind of a newcomer to this community. Tell us the elevator pitch. Is it worth coming to Camp Fi and why? Uh, yes, it is very much worth coming to Camp Fi. Um, it all, to me, it comes down to f- literacy, financial literacy. The more f- financially literate one is, the more one is able to drive one's journey and be the driver. Yeah. Um, so yes. Uh, you know, financial literacy and campfire is an important vehicle for that. So yes. Osaru, leaving Camp Fi, how's your life going to change? Leaving Camp Fi, I'd say my life would change in the more, I'd be taking a more like active approach to it instead of laying back like I have done before and like allowing things to come to me or just waiting to take action on things is springing on the moment and like pouncing on the opportunities because the time you waste is something you can't get back. So might as well say something today because you never know what might happen tomorrow. So kind of just taking the opportunities I can and I like how in your presentation today saying yes to a lot more things and maybe thinking about the consequences later instead of overthinking them because you never know what experience you might gain or lose. So just taking everything and being grateful what's there for you. You've heard me talk about Camp Fi Midwest 2021, and I've talked about the fact that this is both old school and new school financial independence. And and not just old because some of us are getting a little up there in the years, but old because there was this version of financial independence when we started that you worked at a professional job, you grinded it out, you saved enough money, and then you lived off those investments. Financial independence has evolved, and it's evolved in such a way that the faces we see here today at Camp 5 Midwest 2021 look different than the faces at Camp 5 Midwest 2018. Our goals are different, our plans are different, and even our concerns and hurdles have changed That's healthy. That's how communities grow and evolve. That's how we learn together because it's not whether it's old or new. It's about taking all of those pieces from each person we learn from and using them to move farther, not just financially, but in our lives to develop a sense of purpose and meaning and then use these wonderful tools to get there. I can't say enough about Camp 5 Midwest. The first one I came to in 2018 changed my life. And as I see the faces here today, I know it is changing all of yours. I wanted to take a moment to thank Leif Dalin, the physician on fire, Fizz, as well as Nosa and Osaru. This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. That's a wrap.
All right, I want to do an after show here. This is the chance for all of you out there, anyone, to ask a question of any of the participants. You're going to have to come up here and get on the mic. And if they ask of one of you participants, you're going to have to come up here and answer on the mic. But if you guys have any questions and want to get on to the after show of this podcast, it will be the part after I say that's a wrap. There'll be some music, and then I'll play whatever we do right here. So does anyone have any questions for any of these participants? Come on now. Don't let me down. All right. Good people make me look good. So, Robert, you recently got your Ph.D. in some combination of agriculture and technology and things I can't quite fully articulate. But your main source of income is selling used Wii consoles. Is that correct? Please elaborate. Uh, yes, that is correct. Um, so I started that as a side hustle during the first year of my PhD, and I was selling just about everything under the sun, anything I could thrift or find at garage sales. And after six years of constantly niching down into different categories of items, and then eventually I landed on video games and consoles because it's a space I know and I'm comfortable with. I went within that space and crafted an even more specific niche with the idea being that everything would be much more replicable and simplify everything. So now 60% of what I sell there is literally like four different bundles of the Wii console in a certain game. Speaking of side hustles, let's invite Amber up here to talk about hers. Amber, tell us what you do, and will it become your main hustle one day? Thank you. So similar to Robert, I buy and resell things, but my niche is clothing. Particularly, Patagonia is a big seller for me. For those of you in the room, I am wearing it now. So... Currently not my main source of income. I work full-time. I'm also a grad student, so time is limited for this hustle. But I do believe that one day I could make this into a full-time thing. I love thrifting and the sustainability aspect of it, and it's really fun for me. We often have talk about side hustles as ways of making more money, but when you actually get financial and independent, you realize that you want to fill your time doing meaningful things. So we've invited Mark Troutman up here to talk about being a CPA. But he's not exactly a CPA because he doesn't have the degree. Tell us about your tax side hustle. And is it even a side hustle or is it volunteering your time? So yes, I uh, do taxes primarily for my family and friends that have asked me to do it. Uh, There's a few people in this room that I've done it for. Um, but yeah, so basically I enjoy understanding the tax code because it helps me on my own financial independence journey. Um, it's basically understanding the rules of the game. And if I can help anyone else, um, do their taxes efficiently, especially when I see that they may not have been done well in the past, um, by either a professional or themselves. And if I can help in any way, I'm happy to do it. Uh, this is not an advertisement for tax services, um, so please don't call me, but <laughs> it is um, something I enjoy doing for myself and close friends and family. One of the cool things about the Camp Fi is we find that although this is one of the best ways to build community is coming here live to a Camp Fi, there are some other ways to build community out there. One of our speakers today, Amberly, talked about the importance of saying yes, and one of the things she says yes to is forming her own Zoom community. I've heard so much positive feedback. I thought I'd invite her up to talk about what she does on Zoom and why it's important. And maybe tell a story about a jet or two. I run a Zoom group every single Tuesday uh, since the start of the pandemic in March 2020. I started the group because I was going through a hard time in my life. I was starting financial literacy content online because what do you do when you're having a hard time? You try and help others, in my mind. 
And those that were listening to my content actually had expressed some interest in maybe having some interactions with each other. So I started every Tuesday, us meeting. How it works is I have an invite list. I send out a calendar invite with a topic. And every week, I choose a topic. Sometimes it's guest speakers. We've had uh, people such as Mr. Money Mustache on. We had an FBI agent on talking about cybersecurity and keeping your data safe. Uh, we we have uh, every week we talk about different topics that are both financial topics and uh financial adjacent topics such as mindset, what's the most money you've ever spent on a meal, those types of things uh, in the Zoom group. Uh, we do have a, an email list. If you do want to get on it, then you can contact me uh, to start uh, coming into our community. Uh, one great thing about this community is we all support each other. We know a lot about each other. And once uh, one of the members had contacted me on a Sunday night said that he'd love to go for coffee. He had 30 minutes in Denver. And I thought, great, let's go for coffee. I'll rearrange my schedule however you'd like to. He then messaged me back a couple minutes later and said, actually, I've got a private plane from Denver to San Francisco if you'd like to join me and my friend. Well, yes, of course. Yes, please. So I actually uh, rearranged my roofer, my hardwood flooring guys who are coming in, my day job, and hopped on a flight with a bottle of wine to San Francisco that next day. I stayed in San Francisco with some friends, and then the next day got on a frontier flight home, which uh, made me very grateful for the earlier day's activities. And lastly, I wanted to invite up Siuk because we gave him a really hard time today. In one of our small sessions, we jumped all over him when he said he didn't like his job. One of the things people wonder when they talk about Camp Fi is what actually happens there. So, Sia, tell us a little bit about what happened today when we were talking about your job in our small group. Well, you all jumped on me. <laughs> <laughs> about my job. And uh, I was telling everyone I really hated my job, and I hate my job. However, I was not and probably still am not willing to give it up because of the benefits that I get from my job. I work for a school district, so the benefit is great. I have a pension plan that's free, and I have a 457 plan, and I also have a 403B. And most people don't get that at the private sector. So, And I have that. So I am struggling whether I should stick it out for as long as I can, while maximizing all those plans. But most of you, in fact, almost all of you, say that it's not worth it. And I talked to my wife, and she was like, see, you should listen to me. <laughs> I, told, <laughs> I told you. So, uh, in fact, right after you guys jumped all over me about that, I talked to her. I think we have a plan in place. I think... Next year, the plan is, this year I'm going to stick it out. I'm going to max out all my 403B, 457 plan. And then next year, right in the beginning of the calendar year, I'm going to defer all my uh, salary and max those out. You know, 19.5 for 457, 19.5 for 403B. Once I max that out, I'm going to say sayonara. So I wanted Zierk to come and talk because I wanted to give people a feeling of what kind of conversations we have. But I don't want to say that our goal here is to make people do things they don't want to do. This is obviously something that, that he's thought a lot about and probably will think a lot about over the next six months. I think the message here is that to see things in a different way. And I certainly know that's happened to me at a lot of these kind of events, is people have presented arguments that has opened my mind and helped me question what I really want. So the message is not everyone should stop their job. The message isn't that making money is bad. The message is how can you open your mind to have the things you want now instead of waiting forever? Or specifically, a big goal of mine is to help people stop doing things they hate. 
You've heard some voices here of Camp 5 Midwest 2021, but this is just a small fraction of the conversations that have taken place. There are conversations happening 24-7, maybe. Maybe there's some sleep there. We don't know. About everything, not just having to do with personal finance, but with our lives and what we accomplish Let's everyone hear the voices of Camp Phi Midwest one more time, and then we're going to sign out. That's a wrap from Camp Phi Midwest 2021. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Tech moves fast, so keep pace with the Daily Crunch podcast from TechCrunch. With new episodes every day, this podcast will give you a quick overview on everything you need and should know about startups, new tech, regulations, and more. Listen to TechCrunch Daily Crunch now, wherever you get your podcasts. That's TechCrunch Daily Crunch, wherever you get your podcasts.